0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 9th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Oklahoma has tightened up its rules on civil asset forfeiture, but the practice continues in Oklahoma and in most other states. Last week, I spoke with Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt about civil asset forfeiture and other issues. Mens rea is a protection for the accused. Uh, In criminal cases, it is meant to Uh, protect the accused from accidentally becoming a criminal. Uh, That is the idea that you had a criminal mind, that you intended to do something bad. Um, But there are a lot of statutes at the state and federal level that simply don't provide for that and people find themselves charged with some pretty stiff criminal penalties without ever having been Uh, without it ever having been established that they intended to commit a crime. What's the status of that as as you see it?
1: Well, I think you've said it very well. The importance of the distinction between criminal and civil is fundamentally the requisite mental capacity, the mens rea, as you've described, in committing or intending to violate the law. And I think what you see happening across the country and it's very discouraging, is that regulatory bodies, regulatory agencies are leveraging the potential of criminal charges to do what? To extract fines and penalties in it, at a significant level. I mean, the federal government has done this rather extensively. I think you see certain states doing the same thing. Uh, and so, this effort to have a requisite mens rea requirement in dealing with regulatory enforcement and regulatory compliance is terribly important and something that every state ought to be looking at across the country.
0: You mentioned regulatory agencies. That's definitely true at the federal level. Is that also true at the state level?
1: I mean, I think in a, in a sporadic and uh, uh, less uh, egregious way. But yes, I think you see um, states taking steps statutorily. Uh, legislators are convinced that there needs to be some sort of enforcement mechanism. And so the regulatory bodies are convincing legislators to, to attach... Uh, a felony uh, to something that is, is, is regulatory noncompliance at its core. It's, it's simply, I didn't get the license, uh, and, and you're going to commit, you, you say I committed a felony, uh, and so you have that type of dynamic going on across the country where agencies, I, I think, again, at the time, at the, at the, as I say this, I think it's really about money, because these agencies can can use that heavy hand of criminal enforcement, the potential of a felony or misdemeanor, uh, to extract uh, monies, fines, and penalties that are off-budget, you know, out of the appropriations process. And so I think that's what's driving it both at the federal and state level.
0: So what is the status of mens rea as you understand it in Oklahoma? Well, there's been efforts at the state level to, to, uh,
1: uh, to enact and to adopt that requirement as it relates to regulatory action. Um, and and I'm, I'm honestly not uh, up to date on whether they've actually passed any legislation this year. You may be familiar of some uh, with some legislation that's been passed, but I know that there's been effort uh, and attention paid to that by legislators.
0: Oklahoma has been in the news on the issue of uh, civil asset forfeiture twice uh, in in the last month or so. One, Governor Fallon signed in a piece of legislation that would allow uh, people who whose assets were seized unjustly, to quote the the news story, to seek attorney's fees and to receive attorney's fees because in many cases, the assets seized are less valuable than the price of an attorney. Right. And um, that certainly was a, a move in the right direction. I agree. Uh, basically, what was the problem as you saw? Well, it. you mentioned two cases recently, and you're exactly right. Uh, this asset forfeiture
1: issue uh, on the state level is a very meaningful issue uh, because I'll say a couple things. I think it's a meaningful tool rightly used. Uh, you know, when you have individuals in, in Oklahoma, as an example, in, in Oklahoma City, we have I-35, I-40 and I-44 that intersect in Oklahoma City, the crossroads of America, as as it's called. And so there is legitimate drug trafficking, particularly with what's going on in Colorado with respect to marijuana coming across Oklahoma into other states to the east. But from the south and Mexico, cartels and the rest, there is a significant amount of activity. So when you have a cartel, a a, a ring of individuals that are criminal conspirators using uh, cars to traffic in marijuana, that is something that ought to be uh, a part of the tools, the arsenal available to law enforcement. However, uh, what we see happening in Oklahoma, and I think we see this in other places across the country, is an abuse of that authority. Uh, we had a young man that actually had, had been in Kansas. He, he, he was a manager of a Christian uh, uh, contemporary band that, that had been on a multi-state tour, Uh, Raising money to send to Burma and was traveling through Oklahoma uh, back to Dallas where he resided and had $53,000 in the car uh, from the tour that they were on. No indication of drug activity, nothing that the law enforcement in pulling he had a a busted tail light uh, when the law enforcement pulled him over, the Muskogee County Sheriff pulled him over. And as he pulled him over for that busted taillight, light, supposedly a dog hit on the car, a drug dog hit on the car, and then he, was which is ex- to
0: say, a drug dog alerted. That is yes. to say, it indicated somehow that uh, it was uh, detecting something. Yeah, but and, and you know this,
1: uh, those things uh, that can be actually, uh, in my view, uh, manipulated. Uh, but but either way. Either way, when he was pulled over, he was then interrogate, interrogated for four hours and asked about where the money uh, came from. And, and they, the, he had the uh, person in North Carolina who was part of the, the, the band confirm that what, what the story was. But despite all that, the $53,000 was kept by the Muskogee County Sheriff, and this person was let go. Uh, that's wrong. Fundamentally, that's wrong. That's that's a, that's something about our legal process that needs to be. We need a habeas process for property, with respect to asset forfeiture, and and it's not a very complex issue in my view, as far as what what remedies exist. Probable cause to stop, uh, if if there's an asset as a car or otherwise that potentially could be used in uh, drug trafficking then then it's retained but but if charges are not brought within a certain time period 60 days 90 days the property is returned if proper if, if charges are brought within that time frame it the, the, the property is held in abeyance or an escrow until conviction uh, and, and this this method of, 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 of law enforcement is stopping someone, taking cash from a car, and then saying, we're not going to prosecute you. We're just going to keep this uh, and we'll let you go. That's very similar to what we were talking about with regulatory agencies using what? Uh, the, 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 the lack of mens rea and regulatory uh, compliance, you know as far as criminal activity, leveraging that for fines and penalties.
0: But isn't that the core of what defines civil asset forfeiture, the idea that uh, there is no arrest. There is no uh, necessarily a continuation of a, a criminal process. I mean, that yes. se- would seem to define civil asset forfeiture. I mean, by definition, yes. So, but but you said it was proper properly used. That's it's appropriate and it is part of the toolbox that should exist on the criminal for, side on the criminal side well so we're talking about something totally different so do you view then the civil asset forfeiture not to be uh, conflated with criminal asset forfeiture do you think that that process itself is an abuse I think,
1: as I described it, it is yes. I mean, I think I think that criminal asset for—I just use the term asset forfeiture—that's used in the commission, you know, in law enforcement carrying out its responsibilities in in the prosecution of a crime, or in the in the arrest and then ultimate prosecution. I think that should
0: be the focus only of what the states should use asset forfeiture to do, which is held pending outcome of a trial. Yes. So um, this reform. now, no,
1: no, let me say something. There, there are instances where let's say that, that there is a, using your phraseology, a criminal asset forfeiture situation where someone is actually um, arrested, uh, charged, an asset is, is seized, and then there's some kind of abandonment of that asset. That happens at times where you have individuals that are drug traffickers that come up I-35, they their car gets taken. You know what they do? They, they, they leave the jurisdiction and they leave their car, okay? And, and they do so because... You know they were they they were actually wrong in committing a crime and and they abandoned the property. So there are certain limited exceptions to that general. Uh, continuum that I shared with you, as far as probable cause to, to retain and to 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 seize the property, a window of time, sixty days or so, in in, the, in, in determining whether the charges should be brought, and then uh, retention of the property upon conviction. The only exception I would offer to
0: you there is if there's an abandonment type of uh, step that the accused takes. So, uh, Governor Fallon, the reform that uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma signed into law, uh, essentially. Raises the burden for uh, the state to say, "Look, either you, either you return this property, or you get dinged for having mistakenly, uh, erroneously taken it." What else? What is what's step two for reform? Well, of course, you have 1983 causes of action that could be
1: be pursued by individuals against law enforcement that abuse their authority. I mentioned the Muskogee County Sheriff to you. With respect to the fifty-three thousand dollars in the Christian contemporary band, but we had a Wadner County sheriff that stopped someone uh, in Wadner County and took ten thousand dollars in a seizure and put it in their pocket, and so I'm indicting that individual. Uh, And so we've had two egregious examples in Oklahoma just in the last six months. Uh, Now that activity with the with the Wadner County sheriff has been going ongoing, but. I think 1983 actions, I I do think the attorney's fee legislation was, was, was a good first step, and I do believe there needs to be some reform around what you and I have discussed today, procedural steps to ensure... Uh, against abuse by law enforcement and the seizure of, of, of assets around criminal prosecution. Uh, we don't have in our statute right now a 60-day a, a or 90-day requirement in, in, the, in, the, in the filing of charges. We don't have a requirement that says that the asset can be retained only upon conviction. Uh, and so there needs to be steps taken, in my view, at the state level to address those potential abuses. Should civil asset forfeiture be abolished in Oklahoma? Well, look, I mean, I think it's a matter of terminology the way that you and I are talking about it today. I, I'm, I, talking, I, I'm talking say, uh, about I, I, no,
0: no. There is no conviction and oftentimes no arrest. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather state it in the affirmative in the sense of
1: saying that uh, the only type of asset forfeiture that I think is legitimate is what is the type that I've
0: that I've described to you today, which is which is post conviction. Yeah, yeah.
1: Now, I mean, look, I mean, law enforcement can and should be able to retain the the asset during the the, the, the pendency of charges uh, and um, that that should be able to should occur, and that but that protection is not. I mean, there's no nothing in the statute today that requires even charges to be brought, right?
0: Let alone conviction, which are the two examples we've talked about today. Many states have put laws on the books that make it more difficult for police to at least keep the proceeds associated with uh, civil asset forfeiture. Yeah, but, I'm not as concerned about that part. But but, but police agencies often do uh, make use of federal programs, uh, equitable sharing. Uh, the being the primary culprit to circumvent state law.
1: you know you know well put I thought you were actually getting into a situation where you know there's an incentive uh, for law enforcement to seize assets in the way that we've described and uh, in, in order to to balance the budget of their office and I, and I think that's a legitimate concern absent the procedures that you and I've talked about today. so so I have no problem with law enforcement, Uh, retaining the proceeds for further prosecution of people that are in the drug trade if the procedures are in place and protecting against the abuses that that we've referenced today. Uh, With respect to the federal issue, I'm not terribly familiar with
0: with that area. So maybe you can unpack that for me a little bit. Uh, Equitable sharing, an idea that uh, the federal government essentially is uh – either brought in or is part of a task force and they are responsible for the seizure and in exchange for bringing the feds on board the process, the process of the seizure, uh, local law enforcement gets a kickback effectively of uh, up to 80% of those proceeds. Yeah. So, using state law. Uh,
1: the feds are actually, there's actually a prosecution around state law or a federal law? It would be federal.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. there, there may not be a prosecution at all. Okay.
1: Well, I, I think that's an area of legislative inquiry as well. I mean, to determine how how widespread that is in Oklahoma. Obviously, you don't want a quote-unquote uh, um, transaction occurring between state law enforcement, local law enforcement, and federal law enforcement to, to bypass or circumvent the requirements or obligations that, that are being put on state law enforcement for state law, uh, for state law um, crimes. So um, I'm not familiar with that happening in Oklahoma. You may be. But, but uh, that's something that I think the legislature should and would look into if it were happening.
0: Scott Pruitt is the Attorney General of Oklahoma. This month marks 10 years of the Cato Daily Podcast. Subscribe and share at cato.org slash podcast.